Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the week's TV news stories, brought to you by the tele-obsessives in the Broadcast editorial team. I'm senior reporter Max Goldbart, and this week I'm joined by fellow reporter Desiree Ibaqua and international editor John Elms to talk diversity, John Whittingdale and beyond distribution. Des will be bringing us up to speed with her work speaking to a wealth of BAME-led production outfits, while we'll have all the latest insight on a week in which things turned sour for the BBC as an old foe returned to the fore, and there was yet another shift in the UK's distribution landscape. All that, plus what we've been watching on this week's Broadcast News Wrap. So welcome back to the News Wrap, and it's Des and John. Uh, who I'm joined by to, today to talk uh, a plethora of different topics. John, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, Max. Enjoying a nice, leisurely afternoon. That's not, right, that's not true at all. I'm busy at work, and then I'm also recording this important podcast. <laughs> Almost got yourself caught out there, John, but uh, just, just, just managed to cover for yourself in time. And Des, I assume your afternoon isn't as leisurely as John's. Yes, the exact opposite. I've been working so hard. I've been wondering where John has been, actually. Um... <laughs> it's unleisurely. <laughs> and now unceremoniously thrown under the bus by my colleagues. <laughs> under the bus he goes. Uh, Des, you've been working on peace speaking to some BAME led indies um, we're a few weeks down the line from from the the tragic death of, of George Floyd and the the sort of in, ensuing fallout that that did have a, a rather big impact on the TV sector uh, even this week schemes and initiatives and whatnot are, are still coming in so in the last few days we've had a, a 12 million pound BBC radio diversity pot which uh, is not dissimilar from the BBC TV £100 million, which we spoke about on this podcast a few weeks ago. And ITV uh, has committed to some short films, and those aren't too dissimilar to those commissioned by Channel 4 uh, a few weeks ago, again, in, in, in the wake of George Floyd's death. Des, what, what are some of the, the takeaways from the conversations that you've been having? You know, it's kind of a, a mixed bag. I think with all the uh, schemes that are coming out, it's obviously a very good thing that people are starting to, uh, or broadcasters are starting to actually put their money where the mouth is and, and uh, uh, kind of help fund diverse content, but also help out BAME Indies, which is a kind of area of, of the industry that I think, you know, deserves a little bit more love. Happily, you know, some of these uh, schemes seek to kind of address that saying that you know as as ever nothing can be completely perfect and when I spoke to a number of kind of MDs there were things that came out you know take the channel five scheme for example a lot of uh, indie bosses praise that because it's about networking you know these relationships will last way beyond the scheme and something that will have longevity and that sustainability is actually the most important thing um, when thinking about diversity industry and what, you, what initiatives and stuff so yeah I mean people are are happy and are optimistic but are also cautious because this has been a conversation as as we've said this before but has been going on for a very very long time mm, so yeah. yeah you always feel like there's going to be a degree of skepticism just because of the the length of time that these conversations uh, have have been had what 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 would you say the role of the super indie or the role of the larger established indies is playing yeah, that was a really interesting part of the conversation that actually kept coming out. These indies have the ability to kind of throw a lifeline to smaller, um, less established uh, uh, companies. And, you know, if they're willing to 
you know help the industry as a whole then really there should be businesses that they look at and they see potential in that are run by people who are uh, black or uh, from Asian or minority ethnic backgrounds mm -hmm. then they can you know take them under their wing so I spoke to Nisha Party who uh, founded Party Productions and she spoke about the importance of being taken under um, Kudos's wing very mm -hmm. early on and um, seeing how like sitting in on their development meetings and seeing how they went about you know producing and how integral that was to them moving on and and uh, being being successful going forward so mm -hmm. I think there's definitely a role for indies and I think it's you know obviously broadcasters it's easy to ho hold them accountable so it'll be interesting to see how that works um, but also I spoke to Faraz Osman who uh, heads up um, Goldwaller and he said something really interesting. So instead of, let's say they go to um, the BBC with an idea and obviously they don't have the infrastructure or you know, resource to, to make that happen, they, they'd pay them with a bigger indie. He says that that should happen in like a, a reverse order. So when there's a big mm. commission, broadcasters or indies should take it upon themselves to be like, okay, let's pair with a smaller diverse indie. Let's get FaceTime with their talent. Let's get FaceTime with the connections that they have and that way you know is your you don't have to invest in them but you, you know you're still giving them an opportunity to see how you work and mm. um, hopefully have a long-standing relationship so I think it's really all about network and I imagine there's there's a lot of room for improvement in in that area because it it seems like we're, we're only just getting to the point where the where broadcasters are uh, enacting these more mid-term or long-term schemes whereby mm. you pair up with a with a um a smaller diverse led indie um so doing it with with a large indie and a smaller diverse led indie it feels like that that probably isn't happening uh nearly nearly as much as it could and also what 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 i imagine came up a little bit and i remember this again from from uh, a, a survey that we we conducted last year do these people feel like they are put in a box and kind of forced to make programming that is about their specific makeup or, or, or yeah. uh, their specific ethnicity or or whatever it might be rather than just being able to, to make tv shows uh, about whatever it might be yeah i think that's that's definitely something that kept cropping up and obviously you know when i asked them the question at the top they said you know i'm interested in making shows that relate to my cultural heritage shows that i feel like i can do mm. justice but like when you want to venture out of that box do broadcasters want to want to hear that from you do you know do they are you able to make a show about the kennedys or or the royal family will will that be taken seriously and a lot of mm. people feel that they they won't be taken seriously and they need to kind of stay in that identity lane one md actually described it as you know i'm gonna focus in on this and try and build up clout and hopefully um eventually i'd be able to go on and do something else mm. um while another said you know i'm worried about if i do that that's just all that people will see me for and i won't be able to make a show about trains or engineering so i think it's 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 about striking a balance but it's not it's not really on the indie for as osman actually said that you know when you're when you're briefing stuff out you know let's say you want to show about christmas why don't you send that brief out to six or seven Dame Indies and get them to make something about Christmas rather than, mm. you know, going to them if, when there's an Asian season on. So, yeah, I think that, that that's a place, you know, obviously there's an internal kind of figuring out where that balance lies, but it's also on the broadcasters to try and give them the opportunity to do something that's a little bit less identity centric. Mm. It, it's tough, isn't it? But, but if you're looking at... Um... I think that this is a bit of a sad reality, but if you're looking at like company growth, for example, it's those those sort of formats that are about anything, those long, more more long running series that are going to really like they could sell abroad or that or they could mean a constant stream of income. 
those are the sort of series that that are about the i don't know more more sort of general stuff that maybe these guys feel they aren't being commissioned for uh whereas it it, it feels like it would tend to be the sort of shows that we're talking about about cultural heritage or or whatever it might be there pro- it's probably you know it's probably a one-off it's probably something that that could do you know it could do quite well critically but that's not going to like guarantee your your income as a small company for for two or three years you know a long-running format uh, entertainment format can be should be created by anyone and those ideas come from anywhere as exactly as there says if you want to make a show about christmas send that brief out to all indies and the ones who come up with the best idea get the commission to me the real change will come when commissioners understand uh an, an indie being being run by somebody from a from a diverse background can it improve a show that isn't necessarily about that person's background or about that person's cultural heritage but just like uh, your everyday format will be made better by having that diverse voice behind it. And that, I don't know what you think, Des, but that's something that still feels probably quite far away. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely about like reorienting like how people view people that come from a black or Asian minority ethnic background. I listened to a, a showrunner panel, um, which was organised by Banff Media Festival the other day. And L. Johnson, who is the co-showrunner of the Netflix show Self Made, inspired by the life of Madam C.J. Walker, which stars Octavia Spencer, she was tired of the of the kind of arguments from commissioners that said, "Oh, we don't see colour or we don't see identity. We just want the work with the best." And she said that the best, whatever that is, is a value judgment. So the idea of what the best producer is or the best talent to work with is going to be totally different to someone else and you can say that you want to work with the best craft so the person who's got the best craft but this is an opportunity to kind of teach craft and then we're all in the the indie community and the the tv community is uh, all craft professionals and they all have expertise and you learn that and you help nurture that and then you will all improve you know i think one of the arguments is that that's gone on for so long and this is you know this has long been in the indie community is that certain broadcasters go well we know that label we know that exec producer we know that writer let's just go with them oh they're but they're the best because look what they've done in the past and then you know the the pool is already tiny Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. even more slanted away from fame-led indies or, or indies of um, led by diverse people. Elle Johnson was making that point we should be focusing on craft as opposed to the best, which is a complete value judgment. What was the, if there have been any viewpoints about ITV's shorts, which were which were announced the other day? That's definitely a conversation that has a lot of validity, but actually when I was speaking to, to Braz Osman again, actually, he said that, <laughs> you know... <laughs> should have invited him on, shouldn't we? I know, I know. They're <laughs> <laughs> all seeing Braz. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... It was interesting because he said that, you know, the biggest issue for indies is cash flow, right? And uh, when you have, when you look at terrestrial television, there's X amount of slots that you have to fill and there's a lot of people vying for those those spaces. So if you're going to wait for a commission, you're going to be waiting for a very long time. So if if what broadcasters need to do, need to do is have more more avenues for people to try and get in and produce content so that they can, one, stay afloat and also, you know, digital content doesn't necessarily have to be inferior um there's loads of different ways to be an indie now you don't necessarily need to be on at like itv at 9 p.m 
obviously it would be great to have more black owned companies and stories being told on on terrestrial television but actually if you want to get have more indies or if you want to have indies that have greater longevity maybe you know having having these shorts or having an avenue for people to do that um to make content isn't necessarily a bad thing and i'd never really thought about that because i was of the of the camp that obviously this is great but you know it'll be great if you know we could be on channel four or mm. or, or bbc so digital is the hill that i'll die on like i'm i spend most of my most of my time on youtube and i think there's a lot of great creators a lot of great black creators i think i was sp speaking to angela ferrer from um douglas road and she mentioned sbtv sbtv hasn't been hasn't really been anywhere near terrestrial television and yet you know they're they're like a a kind of stalwart of the content landscape um so i think you know it's not it maybe it's just the the way that people view it or the way it's spoken about that kind of affects the way that people see Agreed. these 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 things. digital that's that's where it's at and it's the and it's the hill that uh that des is going to die on but but we we all look forward to to reading your piece des and and it's been really interesting to to talk about this stuff in a little bit more depth so max you've been uh keeping your eye on the uh, political machinations this week as you always do and the the person who's in the news is our old friend mr whittingdale what's he been up to he's popped back up uh, and there's there's been uh, uh, so John Whittingdale, the the now culture minister, and former culture secretary, when the 2015 charter negotiations were sealed, um, negotiations that are always referred to as shotgun. Every time anyone ever refers to the charter negotiations, they call them shotgun, uh, which which I, I don't know if it's a fair reflection or not. So Whittingdale's been returned to the to the culture department for a few months, um, and he's been quite quiet as, as a person who's um, always very much been seen as an enemy of the BBC, enemy of Channel 4, a bit of an enemy of, of public service broadcasting like across the board. He has been quite quiet and when he has spoken he's, he's sounded relatively sympathetic toward, towards the plight of, of the BBC in particular if, if we're talking about the Beeb. Um, but this week uh, an urgent question was, was asked in the Commons uh, by a Lib Dem MP called Daisy Cooper, uh, who's not to be confused with the creator of this country, they're actually different people. Uh, uh, and, and the question was addressed to Whittingdale um, and it was around the regional cuts that the BBC is being forced into making. And I always think the, the response from the culture department to this stuff, it's really important to listen to the language as much as it is to, to take the content as a whole. And I felt like there was a marked shift between the way Whittingdale was talking this week and the uh, quite quite decent amount of goodwill that has been afforded towards the BBC right during the crux of the coronavirus crisis. Uh, so if you go back to April and May, you felt like the BBC had really earned up a lot of this goodwill and it had earned it had hit a really good head of steam. It had pivoted towards news, pivoted towards education, pivoted towards entertainment. And the things politicians were saying were, were broadly very nice about the BBC. But this week, John Whittingdale uh, has said he is deeply disappointed in the BBC's decision to roll out over 75 licence fee payments on the 1st of August. Uh, and he has really given short shrift to the fact that the, the BBC has to make cuts in the regions, um, quite swinging cuts that are being made uh, but his his um his response is you should have looked elsewhere i think the guy feels like he knows the bbc very very well and to that point 
he is confident enough to say things like, I know the BBC is bloated in a certain area and I know that you didn't necessarily have to get rid of a bunch of journalists covering a local news programme or, or cutting inside out back or, or whatever it might be. Um, so I think it was, it was the language that I found most interesting. Uh, and I think what is going to happen soon is that we'll, we'll have a, a return to the, the attacks on the BBC that it was experiencing right at the start of this year, which seemed to be a bit of a nadir, to be honest. The, the Sunday Times briefing about the corporation being whacked, um, which was uh, widely known, wi widely thought of as being a, a Dominic Cummings ploy, that was in that was in February of this year, approximately. And this language from from Whittingdale and what he was saying seemed to echo that much more than it did that that goodwill period. You don't say those things without really considering them, and mm. and and they were they were quite they were very very hard on the BBC. And as you say, the BBC had a lot of lot of goodwill recently because mm. of its response to coronavirus. How in what capacity are they? To what capacity are they? You know, valid. I think they're pretty unfair, to be honest. And I think any uh, a neutral industry observer would think they're a little bit unfair. Certainly re regarding the over 75 license fee payments, uh, which are, are probably, uh, as I think about it more, is, is potentially the thorniest issue of the decade for the BBC and will probably dominate Tony Hall's legacy when he leaves in a few weeks. He, he will be seen as the one who lost the over 75s battle and, and neutral industry observers will, I think, understand that the government has really, has really stitched the BBC up on this one because what essentially happened is in 2015 during the shotgun charter negotiations, uh, the government was able to move the concession for over 75 license fee payments to the BBC in, in return for, for various other things. And then between the 2015 to 2018 period was able to convince the public that the BBC had suddenly decided to charge pensioners for license fees, which is a very charged issue in itself. And it's all, it's all been a PR war that the BBC has definitely lost and unfortunately has been way too late to react to that war and now when you when you hear people in the BBC speaking publicly about it they say they say they were the, essentially the victim of a, of a stitch up and it's all about the concession moving but it's a little bit too little too late and, and I think to the general public the government has been very successful in making it look like the BBC just decided to do that. John Whittingdale's remarks were almost beyond the pale and segueing very poorly onto our next topic, John, you've been covering some news this week about Beyond. Broadcast broke a story today um, about uh, Beyond Distribution, or as was Beyond Distribution, which is a, um, a London-based but Australian-owned company. They've rebranded as Beyond Rights, and part of that rebrand is they're kind of bringing in the other distributor that they bought earlier this year, which is TCB Media Rights, a factual and unscripted distribution mm -hmm. company that was previously owned by Q Media Distribution, but was sold off when Q Media was, uh, went into dissolution, as it were, earlier this year. And Beyond picked up TCB Media Rights. And Beyond have since really kind of ramped up their international exposure and suppose, uh, position in, in the fact that another story that broadcast broke um, a couple of weeks back was that they acquired Seven Studios UK. 
to become mm -hmm. beyond production. So they bought a um, production company and having added TCB media rights, and now they've kind of rebranded their distribution business. Basically, they've also hired um, Kate Llewellyn Jones uh, as the as the new chief of its international distribution division. And I, I spoke to the CEO Michael Borglund and Kate about this um, in before the story broke. Michael Borglund told me, you know, he hopes to turn into a forty million Australian dollar turnover business uh, in in the next year, and that's about twenty two. Point four million pounds you know that's so he's he's really looking at scale uh, and that comes with expertise obviously a big catalog i think the catalog that they they're bringing together is about seven and a half thousand hours um they've got really good connections with producers around the world the uk obviously australia where where beyond um as a company beyond international the the parent company um resides and you know it, it's part of a strategy to really ramp up beyond as a as a content powerhouse both in australia and around the world what's quite interesting for our listeners is that, is that many probably wouldn't wouldn't even have heard of beyond a few months ago i i, I i'm not sure i had and yet this sounds like it's going to kind of inexorably shift the the distribution landscape in the uk well what do you think um uh, the impact is going to be on on the other big distributors now now that we've got this this other big player uh, that seems to be making lots of uh, sort of repeated and, and regular plays in the UK market I think one of the important points to make is that the distribution landscape does allow for different types of businesses one of the points that beyond were making were that was that without being a monolith of you know gigantic proportions as some of these some people have described what ESG and Banerjee together, you know, which is now Banerjee Rights, that's the uh, their distribution arm, um, could be viewed as. And they've, they still feel that by having, you know, a substantial amount of hours in their catalogue, but the personal connections, there's a, um, something in being a bit, you know, smaller, more nimble, that kind of thing. And now on to our next segment, which we like to call What We've Been Watching. Des, we're going to start with you. What have you been watching? I have been uh, trying to counteract my Love Island withdrawal symptoms by watching Love Island Australia. Damn. Um, Damn. Yeah, like I fully caught up with like the first 15 episodes in a day and a half or so. Like I fully like just sat in one place and just like watched the entire thing. What, what are the differences between Oz and the UK? Yeah, so this, this what um, ITV show are sh currently showing are, uh, is the 2018 series. So it's the first Australian series, which means that the budget isn't like, you know, it's not the same. Um, I think the people, because it's the first series in Australia, is a little bit more raw. Like people aren't as kind of refined and um, not being awful to each other. So it's it's very good television. Yeah, I mean, it's not not exactly sating the Love Island shaped hole in my heart, but it's mm -hmm. definitely helping. You know, obviously not as many people are watching it and like you don't have that kind of social media buzz around it. Mm. Um, so that makes, it's actually crazy how much that impacts your viewing experience, I think, because it's easy to kind of get like, I don't know, you're not as engaged, I think, in a weird way. I don't know if that makes sense. John, what's been on the box for you? I'm also watching an Australian show as it happens. Uh, I'm watching a, 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 and a dating show for that matter, broadly speaking. It's a docu-series called Love on the Spectrum, uh, which uh, 
was originally aired uh, originally aired on the ABC in Australia earlier this year, but is now on Netflix internationally. I started watching it yesterday, actually, and um, it is a, a very you know intimate docu series based on 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 people who have who are on the autistic spectrum and their attempts to or, or, or kind of forays into the the romance world and it's um so it's obviously got some some important factual background as well it's not it feels kind of more specialist factual come um, ob doc you know it, it straddles a lot of genres there's not much narration which i i find, I find really appealing it's it's simply the stories the conversations they're very hands off the, the 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 documentary makers and they really just let their um, um let their subjects talk and interact and and it's it's really quite beautiful actually i yeah some affected quite quite strongly actually by by the by the stories and you know it's it's people who are who are just getting into dating who haven't had much there are others who've been in in relationships for a while and you know they're they talking through their relationships and it's very tenderly made um and uh I, yeah I, I again it's another show which i have to be careful not not to binge back to back because watch one episode they're only 45 minutes long and you know the the temptation is to rattle through but um yeah i i thoroughly recommend people people checking it out it's i think it's five parts so it won't take me that long to to burn through but um thoroughly recommend that that sounds really good. I'd I'd not heard of it, uh, so so I might uh, might actually check that out. Uh, and maybe maybe there's going to be more more really top drawer Australian shows uh, on on international SVODs uh, as as time goes through. I'm sure Beyond uh, will be. <laughs> Beyond will be licking their lips <laughs> listening to this podcast, <laughs> as I'm sure they are. I've been watching uh, Mrs. America. It's on it's on BBC Two and iPlayer at the moment. That was acquired from FX. Uh, and and it's really fantastic. I can recommend it to to all and sundry. It charts the early 1970s battle for the Equal Rights Amendment to be pushed through, and it's it's got some like really cool feminist icons who are expertly played by the likes of Rose Byrne and Margot Martindale. Really, really interesting portrait of a time. Nine episodes, maybe slightly lengthy. I'm about halfway through at the moment. Uh, and and feel like it could be a couple episodes shorter, but I think I always feel like that about about dramas. So maybe that's me more than anything. I think our appetite for dramas in in episode length is getting shorter and yeah. shorter. Yeah, it's we interesting, that. isn't it? We love it. It's the Chernobyl effect. We love a mini series, don't we? If I see there's four episodes of something, I get very excited. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But then Des is watching back to back to back entertainment shows. Yeah, so, but we're you know. in a we're in a different yeah, ballpark there, aren't we? Des? It's not mentally tasking. Like I don't need to think <laughs> about what's going on. It's just like just washes over me we're traversing the genres and we're traversing the continents it's been such a pleasure to have you guys on and we will be back next week with more news wrap thank you des and thank you john thank you for listening to the broadcast news wrap i'm senior reporter max goldbart and you've been listening to my fellow reporter desiree ibaqua and international editor john elms this week's editor is jesse Whitted. You can check out past episodes of the pod on Spotify and iTunes or on the website via www.broadcastnow.co.uk.